All right. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Well, not everybody. <laughs> Just the guys. Uh, today we're going to deviate from Leviticus and talk about Father's Day a little bit. Um, not about the day, but about a person. I was praying, you know, for Mother's Day it was pretty easy to pick a, a good mom, Mary. I mean, how can you go wrong with Mary, right? So I was praying, I said, God, you know, what, what guy should I talk about? And you start thinking about some of these guys. They don't have very good histories as far as parenting skills go. So God said, talk about yourself. So I'm going <laughs> to... We're going to talk about Philip today. Philip was one God placed in my heart. So I want to start in Acts, just one verse in Acts chapter 21, and then we'll jump around from there, and we'll come back to Acts 21. But if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts 21... And beginning in verse 8, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Great man of God, a family man, a man who had kids, a father, you know. But he, he ended up here. That's not where he started, you know. So I wanted to start off with that verse so we understood why we're talking about Philip. Philip who? The evangelist, one of the original seven deacons way back in Acts, but also had four virgin daughters who prophesied. They were in ministry, big-time ministry, filled with the Holy Spirit, gifted with the Holy Spirit to be able to prophesy God's Word and and so on. So um, a successful dad, to say the least. Um, So I want to back up then. Let's back up. Now go to Acts chapter 6. This is where... Philip gets his call. We don't know much about Philip. Luke, the writer here, begins in this chapter 6, describing some guys that are going to be called into the ministry. The reason they're being called into the ministry is because the Word of God was spreading like fire. And the church was multiplying. There was a lot of people coming. A lot of things going on. A lot of needs needed to be met. And the original 12 apostles... Well, they're supposed to be praying and studying and teaching the Word of God, but there's a lot of other physical needs that need to be taken care of. And so that's where we come to this point in chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. It was a good call. It was a good choice. Although meeting the needs of people, their physical needs, is important, it can't be the primary purpose of the church. It's definitely secondary, if that. The primary purpose of the church is to teach the Word of God, to share it, because ultimately we have a spiritual problem, and that's what's eternal. 
The physical is temporary, but still physical needs need to be met. We want to show our love and our compassion through meeting people's physical needs. But the guys understood we can't just stop teaching the word of God. We can't stop witnessing. We can't stop sharing or evangelizing. We need to do both. So the ministry expanded from 12 to 19. And now there's 19 guys in the ministry. And they're serving wholeheartedly. Some guys are doing the spiritual things. Some guys are doing the physical things. The physical things are being taken care of by the deacons. Philip gets to be picked out of those guys. Stephen is the one that Luke follows here from here on out. And Stephen doesn't last very long. At his first really big sermon, he gets killed, stoned. But Philip gets followed also. They start by serving tables. We don't have really any background on these guys. We don't know where they started. We don't know anything about their sin. We don't know anything about their history, you know, that we love to know people's history. That's kind of built into us. We do know this, though. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, that Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you need to be as a servant of all. And honestly, from this chapter 6 on, you hear nothing about the apostles necessarily. Maybe once in a while, Peter or someone. But the Bible follows these guys. Paul tells us uh, about what happened to him and, and, and how he met these guys in different places. And um, Luke writes about Stephen and Philip and these guys and how God uses them greatly. He uses them because they understood one thing, that they needed to be a servant of all. These guys were already doing it. They're already doing it. We'll, we'll discover that here in the next section of Scripture, 1 Timothy 3.8. But they're already doing the job of a deacon. They just have a built-in natural desire to serve people, to take care of them. They love the teaching of the apostles. They love learning. They got saved by these guys. But they also love just taking care of people, ministering. And that was recognized by the crowd. There's a bunch of people here. There's a whole multitude of disciples. And they picked these seven. They were known for this. They were known for serving. Philip was known for serving. And so when Paul gets to the point where he's writing to that young pastor Timothy, you can turn there now, 1 Timothy chapter 3, he codifies what it means to be qualified to be an elder or a deacon based off of these guys' personalities, the way they conducted themselves at the beginning. None of this stuff was written down when they picked these seven but it was written down after these seven were picked, and I believe based off of how they conducted themselves. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 describes the qualifications of elders, but especially deacons, which is what we want to focus on here. In verse 8, where we pick up the deacon story, it says, Likewise, deacons. Well, before that, 1 through 7 was the qualifications for an elder, and then he continues on. Now, the guys that take care of the physical needs, he's taking care of the spiritual leaders of the church. The guys that take care of the physical needs of the church, likewise, same as the elders. They've got to be reverent. They need to be respectful. They need to carry themselves in such a way that they respect God, they respect the Word of God, and they respect the leadership over them. Very important. You can't have someone who's irreverent towards the leadership. That doesn't work. They're always fighting then. They're always battling. They must be reverent, not double-tongued. They're the same person no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance. 
They may say one thing to you, but they'll say the same thing to somebody else when you're not around, not when you're not looking or when your back's turned. They switch topics or switch their opinion of you. They're not double-tongued. They're not given to much wine. They're not a bunch of drunkards. You've got to be careful about that. It's dangerous. Just to serve, just to sweep, just to clean a toilet. You need these qualifications. Not greedy for money. We don't want them in it for the money. We don't want them thinking about the angle. Well, if I do this for enough times, maybe this is a, a rung on the ladder that I can move up and get into the next phase of ministry. That's where the big money is, you know, kind of thing. Not greedy for money. They hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Both have to be there. It's one thing to hold the mystery of the faith. I know the Bible. I've studied the Bible and all that. But these guys live it. They hold it with a clear conscience. In other words, they're not, yeah, you know what? You really need to do this. And then they go out and do the opposite. They can't have a clear conscience and their conscience bothers them. They're actually reading it, teaching it, and they're living it. It's all there. So when you find someone who wants to, or who you think would be a good deacon, make sure they have these qualifications. Philip did. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons. In other words, they're doing the job already. Then they get the title. Then they get hands laid on them. See, that's how Philip got picked. That's how Stephen got picked. These guys were already there. They knew where the widows lived more than likely. They'd already been visiting them. They'd already been there. They may have even brought the problem to the apostles. Hey, we've got some problems here. They're not getting the daily distribution. Well, let's have the disciples all pick someone that's going to help them with that. Seven guys. Okay, I'll do that. Hey, guys, we've got to pick seven guys. How about you? Sure, I'll do it. I know where they live. This is the first Meals on Wheels program. They got their styrofoam container and green beans and ham, and they're taking it to the widows who need it out there. I love it. Didn't mind sitting down and talking with them, you know. How are things going? You miss your husband? I know, I bet you do. Tell me about him, you know. It wasn't just hanging out the food. It was more to it than that. There was a lot of love and compassion. Philip had that. He was doing that. He was tested. That's where they're getting these qualifications from. What should we write down, Paul says, about these guys? You've got to write down Philip. Philip was like the best deacon ever. What was he like? Well, he's full of the Holy Spirit. Loved people. Loved them. He wasn't greedy. wasn't a drunkard. I mean, God really touched this guy's life. I mean, you can hear Paul going through this. And Luke going, yeah, okay. Yeah, I got it. Being found blameless. Likewise, their wives. So not only them, but their wives can be a disqualifying factor. Their wives must be reverent, must respect their husbands. They must respect God, leadership, all that. They've got to be there in that place. They must be reverent. Not slanderers. That's a funny word. It means malicious gossips. The actual, actual word means devil. Not devils. You know, like some devils, some demons. No, the devil is what it means. Make sure the deacon's wife isn't the devil. I'm glad they didn't write it like that. That'd be kind of awkward. Is your wife the devil? We just need to know, you know? <laughs> I don't think so. No horns on her head or anything. That's because that's what the devil does. That's his character. He is the accuser of the brethren, and he wanted to make sure that those wives weren't accusing the brethren, that they weren't malicious gossips, that they weren't word assassinators, character assassinators. So when you're in their face, they're great, smiling, Angels of light, but when your back's turned, the devil. 
And everybody knew who they were. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't a secret. Well, he'd be a great deacon, but mm, she ain't so hot. How do you know? Well, she said this. It's, it's, she wanted to whisper in my ear, and I listened to her, and oh, my goodness, the things she said about that guy or that gal. Ooh, okay. Temperate. The wives need to be temperate. Faithful in all things. They're just, they're faithful. They continue. They're temperate. They're even. They're not up. They're not down. They're like, oh, God is great. I love the Lord. Where is God? I don't know where he's at. You know, they're even. You got to be even. If your wife's not even, you spend most of your time, and that's important, focusing. You need to focus on her. You need to pay attention. He's not going to be able to be freed up to do those ministries because he needs to make sure that his household's in order that she's taken care of. She's his first and primary concern. The first sheep that God ever gave him is her. And if she's not doing well, that shepherd needs to take care of her and make sure she's okay before any others are added to the mix or the flock. It isn't a slam against her necessarily. It's a, nope, your focus needs to be at home with her. Make sure she's okay. Get her to the place where she's temperate. Teach her, love her to that place where she's temperate and faithful. Also, and then he goes back to the guys, let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. That's the second thing. You get the, you get the wife's even, but the kids, how are the kids at home? I mean, it goes all the way through. It's honestly, truly a whole family being called into the ministry because dad's going to serve God. And we've got to make sure that everybody's okay. How does he do it? Is he doing okay at home? Or has he neglected his family to the point where they're not doing okay? They're up, they're down, they're all over the place. You, you really need to focus there then. And then when that's in order, see us. Maybe we'll call you in to the ministry. But make sure that's in order. We want him to be a good example. Philip was that, wasn't he? At the end of his life, he's got four virgin daughters that prophesy. They had grown up in the faith. They had grown up in a home with him. They had seen dad work, start serving tables. I don't know exactly when these girls were born, but somewhere they, for 20 years they see their dad doing ministry and they join him in it. And they're a part of it and they're filled with the Holy Spirit because dad, dad taught them about being filled with the Holy Spirit. They had gifts of the Spirit because dad taught them about gifts of the Spirit and operated in those gifts of the Spirit. They didn't just hear about it, read about it, or got sent to Sunday school. They lived it at home with Philip. It's beautiful. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And boy, that describes Philip, doesn't it? Well, you don't know that yet. Let me read what Philip did. If you turn to Acts chapter 8, that's our next section where Philip actually moves from doing tables to ministering in other ways. Not better ways, not more important ways, but other ways. This is the first scripture I think JC memorized, isn't it? Chapter 8, JC? One of the first ones. He could just do the whole thing. Now Saul was consenting to... Oh no, that was still breathing threats. That's a different... That was a different chapter. Anyway. Chapter 8, verse 1 of Acts. Now Saul was consenting to his death. They're talking about Stephen, the other deacon that was with Philip. He's dead now. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, 
he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. How did that happen? How did he move from serving tables to starting a revival in another town, ministering, evangelizing, and then just great joy, signs and wonders followed the teaching of the Word of God, and amazing work took place here. It all happened because Saul showed up. Saul. Saul, who's going to be Paul, but Saul right now persecutes the church and terrible things are happening. So much so that Philip has to flee. He does flee. He goes. And the word of God gets spread that way. Not everything that is evil is... I mean, God works it out for good every time. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those who love him, it works out. It may seem like an inconvenience or a terrible, terrible incident. I got that text about the camping thing. Did anybody get that text from up where you guys are in Bedford about the... This is, this is the text before I got the pictures. It says, terrible tragedy. Campers in the water, flipped over, cut to pieces. I'm envisioning a little canoe with four little kids in it and some boat smashed them or something other than... Why didn't you say RV, you guys from Bedford? RVs got flipped into the water. I mean, it's just a camper, not a campers. Now, I say that. I don't know why I said that. Where was I going with that? Anybody know? It's one of those rabbit trails. It's, it was really important to the text, though. You should, you should think about that for a while while I go on. It's not coming to me. All right. That was a squirrel, wasn't it? Squirrel. Sorry. No, it was really important, but I just can't think of it now because I'm 47 and I'm losing my mind. Okay. Does anybody know where I am in the Bible? Great joy, great joy. And so it was great joy to find out the campers weren't cut to pieces and it was just RVs. I don't know. I'll just add that in there somehow. They were excited. They believed. They saw Philip filled with the Holy Spirit, cleansing them, healing them by the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And what, meant, what was meant uh, for evil turned out to be for good. You know, It turned out to be a blessing. It didn't seem like that at the time. I would imagine what did Philip say when he left? You know, God, be with those guys that I'm leaving behind, the ones that can't leave, the ones that are being persecuted. And Lord, whatever this Saul guy, whatever his deal is, God, save him, get him, smite him, do whatever you have to do, but stop this persecution one way or another. Might have been, might have been the prayer on his way out of town. But he goes. Somewhere between serving tables, along comes Saul, and there goes Philip off ministering, getting people saved. It's an amazing thing. Now, fast forward to verse 26 here. This is his third ministry. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. You've got to love that about Philip. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 
I'm, I'm a part of this fantastic ministry. It's thriving. It's, it's spirit-filled. Great signs and wonders are taking place. And I want you to leave all of that and go minister to one guy in the middle of nowhere. And Philip just says, okay. And he goes. That's the kind of guy he is. That's the kind of deacon he was. That was the kind of guy he was before he was a deacon. He just wanted to serve God. He didn't care about notoriety. He didn't care about being in the middle. Didn't care about being at the top. Didn't care about being at the bottom. Didn't strive for anything. He just did what God wanted him to do in every season of his life. Serve tables? You bet. Love those widows. Glad to minister to them. I got more from them than they got from me, he might have said. Anybody experienced that before who's ever been in ministry? You know what I'm talking about. You do get more back than you give out. You want me to go down here because it's great persecution? Great. I'm going to preach Jesus wherever I go. And lots of people getting saved and casting out, healing people. This is awesome. You want me to go to the desert and talk to one guy? Sure. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he uh, read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Philip was such a great man of God, so useful in God's hands that God didn't even wait for him to walk to the next place. I love that. Go to Gaza. Okay, and he probably had to walk down there, and then he sees the chariot, and he does that, and he goes, this guy is so awesome, I'm going to put him over here and see what he does. And I'm going to, maybe I'm going to put him over here and see what he does. He just moves him around, so I don't have time. This is the best tool I've got in my tool bag right now. Until Paul, obviously, but I love that. Philip didn't care. He wasn't interested in it. He just loved Jesus. He just knew Jesus. He had been changed by Jesus, and he wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. That's it. It could be a thousand people. It could be one person. It made no difference to him. It could be widows. It could be heads of state. It didn't make a difference to him who he was in front of. They were all just people. People like he was that needed Jesus. What a great man. This is what his daughters grew up with. This is what his daughters saw. This is what his daughters were accustomed to. I wonder if that ever happened to the dinner table. You know, where'd dad go? You know, <laughs> oh, God's using him someplace. I don't know. I'm kidding. We don't know any of that. I just made that stuff up. 
That's pretty impressive, though, that God says, I need you over here, but I need you over there now. Amazing. His whole ministry started from running from Saul. That takes us full circle back to Acts 21. If you want to turn back there, and this is where we close, this is our last scripture. Because although we read it so that we understood that he had four virgin daughters, let me begin in verse 7. When Dr. Luke, the Syrian saved doctor, writes this down, he says, And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we, meaning he and Paul and the gang, we came to uh, Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Is this the first time they'd seen each other in 20 years? Last time Philip saw this guy at his door was the one who was breathing threats and wanting to put him in prison and caused him to flee his hometown of Jerusalem. Imagine what that facial expression looked like when you opened the door. This is a side note. This is a rabbit trail. I'm warning you ahead of time, but I've left breadcrumbs and I will find my way back. But I wonder what Paul's thorn in his side was. A lot of people think it was sin. Remember, he prayed three times for the thorn to be removed. But God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And a lot of people say, oh, it must have been some kind of sin. He just couldn't shake. I don't think so. Personally, I wonder if it wasn't this right here. Paul had a hard ministry. I mean, I, I think we would all agree with that. I get a little teary about this because I don't know how long I'd be in the ministry if I had Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry was to open every single door and see this expression on everybody's faces because of who he used to be. Everybody knew who he was. All of us have pasts. All of us have histories. All of us have sins. But not everybody knows about those sins. Thank goodness, right? It's a fresh start. Nobody knows me at this church. Nobody knows what I've been through. Nobody knows what I did. Not for Paul. 20 years later, he opens the door and sees that guy. And Philip's face might have been, if not, if he was caught off guard, horror. I wonder how many times Paul prayed for that thorn to be removed from his side. Because that would jab you every time you saw that face. Children cowering as they see Saul walking down the road who's changed, but they don't know it. You know. So he opens the door and he sees this Paul now. Maybe he'd heard. Maybe he hadn't. I don't know. But sees him and maybe that fear was on his face. And Paul says, it's okay, I'm saved now. I know Jesus now, you know. That's probably why God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Just a thought. I don't know that for a fact. It's a rabbit trail for sure. I don't know. But that would explain it. My grace is sufficient for you. Their faces may not be sufficient for you, but my grace is sufficient for you. So think about this. Paul, on his way to Rome where prophets are telling him everywhere that he's going to go bound and bad things are going to take place, runs into this guy, one of the last voices he hears in his ears before he heads off and says, I don't know, I'm hearing bad things are going to happen. And he's got this Philip guy in front of him who 20 years later is prepared to tell this saved Paul, you know, bad things work out for good sometimes. Let me tell you a story, Saul. 
what you meant for evil, God worked out for good. So rest assured, whatever, whatever they have planned for you, God will work it out for good, Paul. How encouraging that would have been. I don't know that this conversation took place, but I tell you what, I don't know where Luke gets all of his information about Philip, if not from this very conversation that we don't have documented. How did Luke know about all these things about Philip? He wrote the book of Acts, obviously after Paul, after his time with Paul. He's sitting at this table. He's probably taking notes. You're one of the original seven? I am. I am. Got called to be a deacon, and here I am. Look at my daughters here. Beautiful girls, aren't they? They are. All of them. They all prophesy. You're kidding me. Yep, all in the ministry. It's great. It's neat. And Paul's going, sorry. That's all he could say all dinner long. Sorry about your dad. Sorry about what I did to your dad, you know. What a great, I'd love to be in that room for that whole talk, back and forth between these guys. 20 years later. Isn't it interesting how God weaves that tapestry? It's really what it is. I love turning rugs like this over, and you look on the back side of them, really woven rugs, not printed ones, woven ones. You flip them over, they make no sense at all. Just a bunch of blue, red, and gray, and yellow thread. You're like, ah, you flip it over, perfect pattern, absolutely stunning, beautiful, artistic, amazing. I have, for the most part, I think we're on the underside of the rug while we're here on earth. And we see the yellow thread come across our life, and we see that red thread. I thought he was going to be here longer. I guess not. The blue thread crosses our path, and things are just happening all the time. When we get on heaven's side of things, though, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be stunning. And I think we get a glimpse of it right here with Philip. Just a glimpse of how all these things we thought were evil, all these things we thought were bad, that we were mad about, that we were disappointed about, that we just couldn't comprehend and questioned God about, all going to make perfect sense. Of course it had to happen like that. Of course that wasn't his will. Of course that was his will. Of course it happened like that. Look at the pattern it made. Beautiful. How encouraging. It says this. Let's finish up this text and then we'll, we'll close with prayer. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea, that's where we left off with Philip, and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem, bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with them not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. He's a good dad, Philip was. Philip stayed with God. Philip walked with the Lord, didn't just talk with the Lord, he walked with the Lord. And 20 years later, Paul receives the benefits of this man who's been faithful, faithful from the beginning. What was the beginning? And that's really how I want to close here with Father's Day. Some of you have been walking with the Lord. Some of you dads are saved. Most of you dads are probably saved. You know, that's good. That's good. Keep walking with him. Finish well. 
20 years from now, have your kids beside you in the ministry. What a blessing that is to see them serving God, loving God, because not only have they heard the word of God in Sunday school, read the word of God during quiet times at home, but they've also seen the word of God in action in their homes. What a blessing that is to see them doing by the Holy Spirit with the gifts he's given them, the things he's called them to do, like you. Some of you aren't saved, maybe. Some of you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're wondering, how do I have Philip's life? Philip didn't start off great. We know nothing about Philip, but we know one thing, that at one point he got saved. He received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He trusted in him for his salvation. And that's where Philip's story starts. I love the Bible. I love the way we know nothing about Philip's past. We know nothing about Philip's history because all that matters is everything that happened after the cross. After salvation, all of Philip's sins, whatever they were, have been wiped clean, erased, forgotten as far as the east is from the west. All that matters is what Philip does now. And all he did was submit to the truth of Jesus Christ being his Lord and Savior and then served him. Served him with widows, served him with great revivals, served him with heads of state, served him just for 20 years, raising these beautiful girls of his to follow foot, follow in his footsteps and be in the ministry with him. You got to love Philip. If you don't know Jesus this morning and you don't know where to start, that's where you start. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to start. I want to forget everything that's behind me, everything Yesterday on back, I want to forget it all. And I want to live for you from here on out. I want to trust in you for my salvation. I want my story to start today. I want to be saved. I want to be used. I want my kids beside me. I want my kids to know what it looks like to be in a house that's full of you, with parents who follow you and serve you, that they might not have the past that I have, that they might just walk. These daughters, virgin daughters, filled with the Holy Spirit and prophets their whole life, as far as we know. If you want that, you can pray this morning with me. If you have that, then maybe you've gotten off track. Maybe you've picked up your own mantle. Maybe you've decided to do your own thing and not follow after God anymore. Same thing. Just turn around and walk back towards him today. Start following him now again. There's no gymnastics you have to go through to get back to God. You just start again with him. You start reading your Bible today. You start praying today. You start looking for his leading of the Holy Spirit in your life today. It's as simple as that. He's not far, he's near. And those of you who are walking with him now and are, can identify with Philip and have seen the fruit in your own lives, praise the Lord, right? For those of you who know dads, that are, have done that, you know. You can thank God for that this morning. Some of your dads weren't great dads. It's Father's Day. Some of them are dead. Some of them are alive. Some of them are Saul, still. Some of them got changed to Paul. Either way, you're in Philip's shoes. Whether it's Saul at his doorstep driving him away, still a tool in God's hands for Philip's life. Whether it's Paul, at his door, still a tool in God's hands for Philip's life. Makes no difference what your history, what your past, what your parents were like, what they weren't. That's what you do. Follow after the Lord. Follow like Philip. Follow him. Love him. 
Love the Lord and serve him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And maybe after 20 years, you'll have a story like this. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this day. Obviously, you're the greatest father. We thank you, Father, for who you are to us, how you care for us, watch out for us, provide for us, protect us. You do everything, and you are everything. Thank you for letting us be in the ministry. Thank you for calling us and allowing us to be like Philip, to be like Mary, to be able to be used by you. What a privilege it is, God, to be able to have that kind of uh, participation in what you want to do here on this earth. We're just so overjoyed. So God, help us just to keep our eyes on you, whether we're being driven out to other ministries, great. Whether we're being moved supernaturally into other people's lives, great. Whatever you have for us, God, even if we're sitting still and we're wondering what the next move is going to be like Philip must be for 20 years in Caesarea, great. Whatever is your will, Lord, great. Thank you. Lord, for those that don't know you this morning, but they want to start today, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that my story is ugly without you. But you died on my behalf. And I thank you for that. And I received that this morning. I believe that you died and took the penalty for all of my sins. And now I can walk with you. Now I can go to heaven. And Lord, because of that, because my salvation is you, because my eternity is secure in you, I want to live for you now. I want to serve you without notoriety, without anything but just thanksgiving in my heart for what you've done for me. I make my life available to you to use how you want to, when you want to, as often as you want to. It's all yours. I pray my kids would see me walking with you and want to follow me. I pray my wife sees me differently. Someone who loves you. I pray that Jesus, you would shine through me to all those around me, including my family. Help me to get my house in order, God. Help me to rule well, which means to be a servant of all. Help me to serve my family. Lord, help us to be great dads like you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.